Welcome to Ballet Initiative. I'm Christian Kutnick. Helping us celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Ballet Initiative podcast is the face of Alvin Ailey American Dance, Alicia Graf Mack. It's fitting, too. You see, Alicia performed with Ballet Initiative in 2009. It was our first public performance and an important collaboration with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Alicia joined me in the studio to talk about her career and the injury that has her in rehab and may ultimately force her to retire from the stage. You know, we've come from pretty much the same area of the world. Mm-hmm. We're both from Maryland and found ourselves here, I think, through marriage and love yeah. <laughs> brought us out here to, you know, the heartland. And, you know, there's a lot going on with you right now. And I talk to a lot of different dancers, and injury is its really complicated. It's a sensitive subject. Yeah. And I remember hearing, you know, I, I guess it was a couple months ago now, Alicia's hurt, um, and it's bad. Like, you were laid up. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we were on tour, um, Ailey was on his U.S. tour. Actually, let me back up a little bit yeah. further. So last summer, Ailey did their first um, season at Lincoln Center that they had done in about a decade. And it came after the end of a really grueling year. Um, and I remember I got to the last matinee show, and I was doing Ron Brown's, uh, it's called uh, Ife. And I just felt like some type of straining in my back. And I thought it was just a spasm, which I've had before, not frequently, but maybe once or twice before. So my husband was there with me. We rushed to the um, urgent care. I was like, can you just give me some painkiller something? I have one more show, and then I have three weeks off, and I'll be fine. And so, you know, kind of got drugged up. Did the show, was absolutely fine, and then um, I had a three-week break. I felt like I had, you know, rest and relaxed pretty well, and then we started learning new rep for uh, the next season, and, you know, when you learn something new, even though I'm in good shape and well-trained and always take class and really take care of my body, um, when you're learning something new, you're expected to do things that your body's just not used to, and so we were learning um, Wayne McGregor's Chroma, which is extremely difficult on the body because it's fast and um, it utilizes the total flexibility of my body, which I'm a very flexible person. So I was just like taking it to the nth degree and loving every second of it. And then we were learning um, D-Man in the Water, which is um, um, Bill T. Jones, D-Man in the Water. And that is completely different than chroma. So at the beginning of the day, I was totally ganked out and, and Gumby-like. And then the second half of the day, I was rolling around on the floor, catching men out of the sky, catching girls on my back, running across the stage. Very physical and very, um, I, it means that you have to be very strong. And so we were learning that rep and things were going very well. We had an amazing New York season, amazing um, international tour season. We went into, now we're in 2014, and we started our U.S. tour, which is the hardest part of our year because we hit 27 cities in about three months. And um, for anyone who just travels that much, not even dancing, that's a, that's a difficult task. It was task. the same rep? Yes. Th- this, we, our, our year goes June to June, so we tend to le- learn new repertoire in the summer and the fall, and then we t- start to perform and tour that rep throughout the year until the next June. So we were doing th- this new rep, and I was enjoying every single moment. I was at a place where I felt... It's interesting because as an artist and someone who has done this for a pretty long amount of time. Um, I've been a professional dancer now 17 years, and I was at a place where I felt like I was growing. And I always find that so amazing to be doing the same sort of things and then find myself at a different level. And so I was sort of just living in the moment, taking it all in, working really hard, trying to um, stay inspired. And I remember we had a two-week run where we were in six cities in two weeks. 
And so we finally got to L.A. where we had a day off, and I did nothing. I slept. I went to a day spa where I just was, like, in the jacuzzi and the, in the um, kind of ice baths, and I slept the whole day. And the next morning, I turned to get out of bed, and I had this, like, shooting white-hot pain down my legs, down into my toes, and immediately I knew it was my back. Um, but I've never had, you know, back injuries before, so it just came as such a shock. And now looking back at it, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I had really tight hamstring on one side, which is unusual because I hadn't remember pulling it or like I would have numbness in my toes, but I just thought I was cold because I'm a cold person in general. Um, and now I see that I was developing nerve damage um, months and months before that. But I wouldn't have known until that day when I tried to get out of bed. And, you know, you would think that I would be injured doing something amazing and fabulous. But no, I got injured getting out of bed. <laughs> so we're going to tell everyone you saved the L.A. mayor from a shark attack. <laughs> there you go. Something. <laughs> um, and was it jumping or turning or just a combination of tear? I think it was just wear and tear. I don't think there was any one thing that I did that injured my back. I think that, you know, you basically with a, it was a herniated disc. So, you know, you get a little tear in the disc and then more and more dancing, it kind of causes more trauma and it compresses the disc. And eventually the disc material inside starts to herniate out. And mine was so bad that it had completely, almost all the disc material inside had herniated out and was wrapping around the nerve. And that's why I had so much pain in my legs. So from that point, and you're familiar with injuries. I mean, I think oh, a lot yeah. of dancers, you know, they live through injuries. Some of them put you down for yeah. a while. And you dance on, in a level of pain even on your best day. So So you had surgery. Was it right away? I mean, tell, tell yeah, us about I was L.A. In, so I was in L.A., and um, we had about three more days till um, we were going to go to the next city. So... We didn't have time to get an MRI to schedule an MRI in L.A., so we scheduled an MRI in San Francisco, which was our next stop. So I had to get on the plane. I couldn't even barely walk. I was just shuffling my feet. I had to get on the plane, go to um, San Francisco, and then I got the MRI there. And, you know, I don't really know much about the anatomy of the back, but when, they, when I walked in, she had the MRI kind of image pulled up on her screen and immediately I was like oh yeah what is that because it was so clear that something was not right um and so she said okay so we she's like are you trying to like dance this week I said no I mean I can't even walk or sit down comfortably I'm not going to be dancing she was like good so we're going to schedule surgery for tomorrow and I said I don't even live here I can't have surgery here so the next day I flew back to St. Louis, and that flight was just excruciating. And um, I, I know my husband, when he picked me up from the airport, the sight of his wife walking towards him probably looking like a ghost because I was so in so much pain. Um, so I saw two different doctors here in St. Louis through Washington University, Barnes-Jewish, and both were, you know, I could have tried to do an epidural to see if um, that would help relieve the pain, but it would just be like putting a Band-Aid on the pain instead of really um, focusing on the issue. So I said, no, I mean, I, I'm a physical person, so even if I never return to, you know, dancing on that level, I want to be able to dance, I want to be able to teach, I want to be able to do yoga, I want to be able to, like, pick up my children in the future. You know, I, I want to be a healthy person. So both of them said, you know, you're just going to have to have the surgery. Um, and so about five days later, there I was. <laughs> so what goes on mentally with you? You've had potentially career-threatening injuries with yeah. your knees and mm -hmm. things that put you out for a while. You yes. went to school and did mm -hmm. some other things and took some time off and then came back. Um, what's going through your mind now? I mean, the back, like you said, it's very difficult to even diagnose yes. what's happening with your back. But mentally... You just let on a little bit like I want to do routine type mm -hmm. things like children and teaching. Yes. Were you thinking about career or have you been through that once before and you dealt with those yeah, emotions? Yeah, I think because I have, number one, I have a history of injuries, but also have an autoimmune disorder that is a joint disease. And so always, even in my best days dancing in the back of my mind, there is always what will I do when I can't do this anymore? Um, so while the back injury 
was and still is pretty devastating. Um, I know that there is a greater plan for me because I've lived in that um, kind of like nebulous world of what am I, what am I going to do with my life before. Um, and also to have um, a disease like ankylosing spondylitis, you never know when it's going to flare up. I could be in the middle of a tour and have a huge flare in my ankle and not be able to point or flex or elevate the way that I want to. That takes me out of a show. So I'm always aware of the fragility of my body. And um, I think in a way that has led to a lot of my success because I take every day on the stage as a gift and a blessing. And so I'm kind of in that mentality of go hard or go home. I, you know, put 150% of myself into my work when I'm able to do it. And when I'm not, I at least can look back and say, look what I've done. I wasn't even expected to dance after I was 21 years old. And I'm 35 years old and I've had a career that I could have never dreamed of. So... You know, you take the good with the bad, and, and you move forward. That's what I do. So Ailey knew that you had had some issues physically, mm-hmm. and that you coming back, which you became basically, for me, the face of Alvin Ailey. Yes. And was there conversation saying, listen, I've, I've got this issue. It's sort of uh, your condition's basically an arthritis type mm-hmm. of condition, yes, right? Yes, definitely. So I've got that. I've got some knee issues. I'm probably not going to put on a point shoe. I mean, what was the conversation like? Uh, They were very much aware because I was with Ailey for three years before um, I I left them because of my arthritis was really flared up. It actually was flared up in my eyes as well, and that made it very hard to perform under the lights. Um, And then I had a small tear in my knee, and at that point I was just so exhausted with trying to keep up with all the medicines and um, just trying to maintain what I believe is my level of professionalism and, and what my abilities are on stage. And so I, I left them, and that's when I moved to St. Louis. But um, I took three years off and um, found some great doctors here in St. Louis that helped me to um, fix my knee and rehab and then also deal with my disease in different ways. And I think just life in general, just like opening your world up to different possibilities, especially as a dancer, because... Our lives are so um, focused and um, very um, small in a way where everything is, sur- is um, yeah, surrounded by other dancers, other artists, and it's all about the performance and, and touring and, and whatnot. But to see how big life can be, I think, is also important, and it was a big part of my healing And um, I got to teach a lot, which I didn't realize that I would enjoy, but I very much did. I taught at COCA here and um, also at Webster University. And I think being in the studio more, definitely at Webster full time, um, it really seeped in that I missed it and I felt good. And um, actually, Ailey had heard word that I was taking class again and um, I was taking class because I wanted to be warm and ready to teach my my classes, but they just they've always been so generous and said, you know, this is your your home. So if you're ready, ever ready to come back, you can. And they're very much aware of what my um, limitations were at the time. So now it's a new conversation. This yeah. is one <laughs> I think you have with yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, and your husband. Mm-hmm. With is this it? I mean, where are you in the process? I know you're. You're rehabbing, mm-hmm. and you told me you were swimming and doing yeah. different things. But in your mind, emotionally, are you cool with this? And I'll, I'll, I'll let me just go back a little bit. I talked to Jenny Samoji, mm-hmm. and who had a terrible uh, injury on stage and went Ugh. into shock and was wow. out, had to have surgery and in front of a full <gasps> audience. You can imagine That's that. That's a nightmare. Yeah. And she told me, you know, and she had a, a long career like yours. She was a prodigy. And she said, you know, she knew that she was close to the end anyway, but this injury was a way for her to say, I'm not going to go out like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't her back. This was more of a, you know, Achilles yeah. foot injury. Where are you in, in that process? Are you cool with? I know maybe you're not <laughs> cool with. Maybe that's not the right term. Cool with going out yeah. may not be right. You know what I'm, I'm yeah. saying? Where are you uh, with this? If it has to end, mm-hmm. are you all right? 
Um, I am always all right with if it has to end, I'm okay. Because I have plan A, B, C, D, and E. That's just the nature of who I am. However, I want to give myself time because I also know how much I love it. And so the doctors have said, we're not sure if you'll be able to perform it on that level so intensely eight hours a day every day with traveling. We're not sure. But let's get you to the point where you're at least strong enough to make that decision. So as hard as it is, I'm really trying not to make a decision. I'm just trying to be as healthy as possible, get my body as strong as possible. And then I guess in about like four or five, six more months, then I will make a decision about what I want to do. Um, but if the outcome is, you know, this is not going to be the best idea, I'm not trying to have another back surgery, that's for sure. So if it, if it seems like, you know, it's just not, I'm not going to go back at the level that I want to, and I can, I can also put my body in a tremendous amount of risk, I, I won't go back. I know that for sure. So it's all right. You'll you'll feel the right. Your body will tell you what's, yeah. what's right. Yeah. And in your mind, are you thinking, well, I think it's too far ahead to even determine, or maybe I'll do a guest spot, or do you think of roles that I probably could do that? You know, it's funny because I feel so accomplished that there's really nothing else that I feel like I have to do to prove myself. Um and so it's more about just fulfilling this passion more so than I feel like I don't have, I, I've accomplished the work that I set out to do. Um, but let's see, I don't know, it's hard. It's like a love affair. Even when you break up with someone, there's all these heartstrings that are still connected, you know, so that's how I kind of think about my dance career. But I'm, I'm, I'm open to any possibility at this point. Yeah, and I think you do have a lot of options, you know, and young enough to fulfill a ton of them. And I, it's inspiring to hear that you're interested in teaching and you love it because I think your experience can offer a lot. To name drop again, one of these podcasts, uh, I had Carla Corbis from mm -hmm. uh, PNB. She's incredible. <laughs> and she had a, a knee injury. Yeah. And it was really emotional for her to talk about it. But we just had a candid conversation about mm -hmm. what the options would be. How long do you need to to be out? And does that bother you thinking of, oh, there's a 15, 16, 18-year-old coming up? Because mm. there always is. You were, yeah. that, you were that girl to somebody at one point. And she was cool with, I'm all right. I've accomplished I'm not thinking like that. I don't yeah. feel I'm going to lose my traction yeah. or my position. I've, you know, that doesn't seem to be. No, and I, I think for me, especially at a company like Ailey, where I feel like the legacy of the company is so important, the way that I've seen my role at Ailey, especially in the last three years, is that I wanted to be an enabler for people to have the experiences that I've had. So when when young people come in, I want to encourage them. Yes, I want you to have the same roles that I do. Truthfully, the company works so much, I don't want to do those every night. I would break my back. <laughs> Hello, that's kind of what happened. So I want everyone to have the same opportunity and see the heights that I've seen as well. So I'm definitely not the, a competitive type of person in that sense. And, you know, once you get into the company, I want it to be the best company possible. So I think it's important for senior members to embrace those younger dancers as well. And during your time off, whether it was forced time off or not, you went and studied and mm -hmm. you got degrees. Yes. Uh, something in the back of your mind or maybe a wish that you'd like to do. Mm -hmm. You had some nonprofit, yes. administrative type, running, directing yes, type I'm ambitions. definitely interested in arts administration as well um, because I have seen what it is to be an artist of a company that is so well organized and so profitable and successful and still be a nonprofit that allows its artists just to concentrate on being the best dancer that they can be and representing the company in the best light. And I think that, um, you know, it comes from 
the top down. If the executive director is in line with the artistic director and the board and everyone is, is really working towards this goal, then you can have such a strong product to, to present to the world. And um, I'm a nerd at heart, so I love looking at processes and, and um, you know, accounting, and I love looking at uh, how you can see an organization from the artistic side and from kind of the nuts and bolts side as well. And so, um, actually, my sister and I have started an organization called Daisha and Alicia Graff Arts Collective. We call ourselves DNA Arts for short. Um, and it's been great for me because, actually, while I've been off, I've gotten to think about business development and marketing and PR and how, how a business grows from, from the ground up. So that's been interesting for me, too. So I'm, I'm glad that I've had the experiences that I, that I have had so that now that I have something that's my own baby, I can grow it. Do you think you're more interested in the directing with, on the executive level than on an artistic level? Yes, I am more interested in on the executive level. I don't know what it is. I think part of it might be a defense mechanism, if I'm completely honest with myself, because to be in the studio all day, um, for me at this point in my life, that would be very hard. Um, just because when I see dancers in their element, I want to be in my element too. I want to be dancing. I want to be moving. So I, I'm not really at that point. I feel like I need to have some sense of separation, um, but still in the field that I love. Can you speak to the lack of women in executive positions? I think it would be refreshing. You see it here and there, and it does exist, but it doesn't seem to exist as much. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, this is true, that there are not a lot of women in executive positions, honestly not a lot of women in high artistic um, you know, roles either. Um, and again, I have to go back to my family, my roots, where at Ailey, when I came, Sharon Luckman was the executive director, and she was the one who pretty much masterminded the growth of Ailey and the growth of its brand into kind of a household name. Um, and she also masterminded um, having their own building called the um, Joan Weil Center for the Arts, and it is one of the largest uh, centers dedicated to dance in the country. Um, and just to see her as an example and as a mentor has really helped me to shape who I want to be in the future. Um, and I think that always, no matter what your dream is, whether it's dancing or, or business or you know being a lawyer or a doctor, you have to be able to see someone in order to envision yourself in that. And so Sharon has definitely been my role model example of someone that I see as very successful. Actually, here um, in St. Louis, both Stephanie Riven and now Kelly Pollock at COCA are also amazing examples of what you can do through the arts and how a powerful kind of executive board and staff can, you know, helps you really transform lives. Now, I have a policy generally. Now, this is an art conversation, so I'm going to break it slightly, and I would love for you to engage me. If you don't, you just mm -hmm. smack me and we'll move on. <laughs> just subject. make it good, though, right? <laughs> but I, I generally don't talk about race, religion, or politics. I always talk about race and religion, but not necessarily politics. <laughs> but, you know, in public, you know, I... Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I mean about that. I don't generally just walk through hallways no, talking no, no. about it because I think it's divisive. And, you know, in the radio game and broadcasting or TV, it's, you know, it's you don't want to do that. But I'm interested in the topic of race. We're talking just now about women mm -hmm. in an art form, which is ridiculous. Yes. You think that's an easy one. Mm -hmm. But race... That's another topic. I mean, it was recently on, you know, the dance magazines and the point magazines about mm -hmm. race and dance. Um, and I know this is a huge bucket of worms, but <laughs> since I have you here yeah. and uh, you seem comfortable, where are you with this? I mean, is this an exposure to the art form problem? Mm -hmm. Is it a hierarchy of 
goofy men running <laughs> the game or a combination of this or yeah. fear? What what do you have? If you if you'll engage me, yeah. I love it. If you want to say think, no, no totally. I mean, um, I am always engaged in conversations about, especially black ballerinas in, in ballet. Um, and there is no one simple, easy answer. And if there was, maybe we would have solved the issue by now. But I think it's, um, well, there's a few questions to ask. The first is just the perception. Is it okay to have someone, you know, brown skin in, in a ballet company that has been traditionally white? I don't think that in this day and age, I honestly don't, that the majority of directors will just look at a dancer and say, no, she is not qualified because of the color of her skin. I Maybe that's just wishful thinking or just being extremely optimistic, but I don't think that's the sole um, kind of answer to all of our questions. I think the second part is definitely exposure. You have an art form that is extremely expensive. Um, it is it takes a lot of money to train a dancer at a level where you're going to see them in more than a regional company, in a top lo in a top tier company. It is like training a, an Olympic athlete, and there are not a lot of um, you know scholarships to go around to take every child who wants to be a ballerina and make that happen. Um, and so it comes down to exposure and finance and you know economics basically. And then the third thing I feel is that although there are many, many uh, dancers who start taking ballet at a young age, it really does come down to a numbers game. If you look at how many dancers train at School of American Ballet, the Rock School, and San Francisco Ballet, Houston Ballet, those really, really top company, uh, schools that are associated with companies, and how many of those students actually get into the professional companies, top tier companies, what I'm talking about, they're not that many. The numbers game is small. You know, they maybe hire two or three dancers a year. And so if you have one black ballerina in your school, in the top level of your ballet school, the chance that she will also get into the company is even smaller. And so it's because we don't have enough dancers represented that we can then kind of infiltrate the, the ballet world in that way. And so, yeah, I would say it comes down to perception, um, economics, and um, exposure, and, and statistics. And I don't know, it's kind of Sad in a lot of ways because many dancers do um, dream of being ballerinas, but we we know that dancers who work on in the top tier companies and top regional companies, um, it's very hard to find a job. So I think that's where we are. It's so complicated. Um, I wonder about the other side. Being a woman of color, you're biracial, mm -hmm. and... I'm interested in your experience, but also, is there a perception among, say, African-American, even Native American, we've had Native mm -hmm. American, and we've had African-American dancers that have great quality. Mm -hmm. um, is there a perception with kids and students that this is, this is a white person's game, this mm -hmm. is not, you know, is there a perception? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. My wife trains a few African-American mm -hmm. students that are killer, yeah. and if they can stay healthy, you know, mm -hmm. she says if they can stay healthy, yeah. you know, and continue to get solid training, mm -hmm. sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. But those students don't seem to have that built in, this is not for me, yeah. I, I'll never make it. I don't think you can. I, I mean, we want them to succeed, we want them to make it, so let's hope that they don't have this sense of, you know, defeatism before they even get started. Uh, it's important to have that dream. And so that's why companies like Dance Seat of Harlem are so important for our country because our kids have to see that there at least is one place that they can go and pursue their dreams. Um, but I think they should shoot for the moon. I think they should shoot for whatever company that they want to dance for, whether it's Pennsylvania Ballet or, you know, I anywhere. Um, 
or New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater, the sky is the limit. It just, it's going to take more dancers getting, you know, kind of breaking the barriers for, I think, more to be able to do great work. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Misty Copeland, and right now she is our poster child for the Black Ballerina. And I think, well, the work that she's doing and being um, so exposed in, in the media, in the commercial world, and in the concert dance world, I think that is helping for our students to say, oh my gosh, this is, this is a possibility for me. But you see how incredibly gifted and talented she is. And we, you know, our, our black girls have to be just as gifted and amazing for them to go through that that track they have to be prodigies just like misty but just like any other dancer that's going to make it onto that level they were prodigies you know they went i guess misty was part of abt studio company by the time she was 16 17 so you know we have to have dancers on that level and she started late yeah she started very late and she's got some things against her in Mm -hmm. this world for me it's about i'm kind of old school in that i'm Mm -hmm. all about the line and different things are great i don't particularly i understand it but I don't necessarily care for a core that's exactly the exactly. same. Exactly. You know, that I'd, I'd love to see a change from that. But she started late. She's different. She's not very tall. She's mm-hmm. not as tall as you are. She's Mm-mm. a fuller figure, yep. if I can say that respectfully. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty public. Or she says it. Yeah, she talks about that a lot. What was your experience? I mean, as a, as a woman of color, as a student, not yes. even a woman. I yeah. mean, how did you make it through? Was it scholarships? I mean, clearly you have the talent mm-hmm. and you had it early, but when you're you're saying, all right, well, you have to wear Freed's $70 yeah. <laughs> a pair, you know, that's, yeah, that I hurts mean, a that, parent. That is, I mean, it's, well, first of all, I've just, I have incredible parents who have supported my dream from the jump and have sacrificed I mean, so much for me to be able to do what I have loved to do. So um, it was a community effort. I mean, my my family is fairly well off in the sense that we, they have been able to finance, you know, our classes. And um, I say our because my, my sister is a dancer as well. And I have two brothers who also were into all different types of activities. But it was very clear that, like, we're making a sacrifice for you, Alicia, because you go through five pairs of shoes a week and they are not cheap, you know. Um, so that was very clear. And even I did some international competitions when I was younger, and it was a community effort. People would donate money for me to have a tutu made or um, for our flights or what have you so that I could be exposed. And and that's kind of what I'm alluding to is that to be a dancer is not just about training and getting into a company. It's like about networking when you're 12, 13 years old, meeting certain coaches, um, going to different schools so they know who you are and see your growth from year to year, doing these competitions so that um, artistic directors see you from when you're 12 to when you're 16, 17, and then you get into these training programs to get into these companies. So it's a lot more difficult and um, complicated, and then you have injuries that happen, and then you have people whose bodies change as puberty hits and things like that. I was really lucky. I've always been really tall and really thin, and so at least I had that going for me, and I have the facility for dance. I have, you know, very flexible feet. I have the sway back legs. I'm um, very flexible in general. I have a nice extension. I have the little head. Like I have, when you look at me, I know you see a dancer. At least I'm starting from that. (laughs) And then, um, you know, I just was exposed. My my coach, um, Donna Pydell, she has a school in Maryland, Ballet Royale Institute of Maryland. We, I was never thought of as different there. My, my biggest challenge was you're really tall. I thought that that was going to be my biggest challenge in my dance career because I just kept growing (laughs) and I hit 510 and, you know, that's when it got difficult because I was told that I had to be better than everyone else because I wouldn't last in a core very long at 510 because there aren't going to be very many other 510 dancers. And then you have to dance for a company who has very tall men or else you'll have no one who's going to partner you. So that was my greatest challenge. But even when I was young, when I was growing up, I didn't have this sense of racism or I, I didn't really grow up understanding that. And I was exposed to um, all different realms of the dance world. Like in my room, my mom, she had put up 
posters of Judith Jameson and then posters of Virginia Johnson, who I'm embarrassed to say when I was younger, she's so fair-skinned that I thought that she was a white woman on my wall. So I just looked at her, and then when I actually got into Dance State of Harlem, I put the two, two together that, oh, my gosh, that's Virginia Johnson. Okay. Um, and I had pictures of Gregory Hines, and I had pictures of Cynthia Gregory and um, Cynthia Harvey and, like, all these amazing ballerinas on my wall. So for me, the images that I saw, um, it didn't seem like an impossibility. And um, let's see, my senior year, I started uh, thinking about, am I going to apply to college or am I going to really try to do this? And, um, you know, at that point, there are a lot more really great um, colleges and universities for dance. I don't think specifically for ballet yet, but I was told, you know, if you're going to do this, you kind of have to go into it right after high school. So um, I started making a list of all the companies I want to audition for, but it happened that the first place I went was I took a class with Dance State of Harlem, and um, I got in. And so I took the job. It was a great opportunity. It was in New York. They travel. And Arthur Mitchell seemed like the type that he really wanted to mentor and coach me, and that was really important for me at 17 years old. And also I hadn't finished my high school year yet, senior year, and he agreed to help to finance uh, finishing school in New York. And so my mom thought that that would be the best thing for a young person to do. I agree with you on that first point for sure. And the other points, I think exposure and the uh, cost associated and the great training. Yeah. Training's not great everywhere. Mm -mm. It's really, you know, can be sketchy. And, it's true. You know, yeah. Um, but I think I can't say that you would feel that race would be eradicated from you know, it's just that it's an art form mm -hmm. and that it's either you have it and can do it, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, if you're casting a ballet, you know, you're looking for the best person to fill that role, whatever yes. it is, really, yeah. an art form. And out there in the world of, you know, you're going into this executive field where you're going to be with a bunch of sharks and weirdos and great <laughs> people and high finance world. It may be a little bit different than yeah. the experience, but you feel the art itself. Yes. That race shouldn't. It shouldn't. You know? Yeah. But thanks for engaging me with that. And I, I totally think even even all students have that, uh, you know, the point shoes. And if there's anything, maybe there's like, oh, you're wearing this brand yeah Ooh, you need to wear this, this one brand. yeah maybe there's some of that pure mm -hmm. weird pressure and maybe I don't know but yeah it's interesting I actually had a conversation with Virginia Johnson at one point when Dance Theater of Harlem was making their comeback about two years ago and she went on a national tour to find the dancers that she was going to have in her company and she just said it's so sad because for the level of dancer that I'm looking for I didn't see any people of color you know kids of color for the level of, you know, I'm looking for, they just weren't there. And so, you know, it's kind of, like I said, it's, it's about the numbers. If you only see one, that's not going to change the world. And also, you know, a lot of our students who are really talented, they, they go overseas to get their training and then end up working in um, European companies. Like there's a woman named um, Precious Adams. She's from Michigan outside of Detroit. And um, she was a, a Vaganova Russian trained and then ended up going to the Bolshoi school and just, just got a job with English National Ballet. And she's gorgeous, but I think that she feels that she has better opportunity to um, achieve her dreams outside of the United States, which is kind of sad. Really? Do you know her? I don't know her personally. I follow her on Facebook. I'm a fan, but I she's, yeah, yeah, she's a lot younger, you know, yeah. 18. And then... Um, you know, also Michaela, who uh, trained at the rock school, is now overseas as well. So, you yeah. know, we do have our rock stars. We just have to get them back to the United States. Yeah, and maybe they'll come through on tours. But thanks for engaging me on that whole sure. topic. It's yeah. so complicated. But with art, you feel that it's not. It's good to hear that there's, maybe it's not good to hear, but a financial yeah. and an exposure thing. Because I know with Ballet Initiative, it's a matter of training these young people mm -hmm. with a high level of training, but also exposing people who wouldn't normally see this. Yes. So you at least see it, even if you go, well, I don't know. Yeah. It's like jazz. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I, but at least I heard Ellington. Yeah. 
you know, it's not for me, but at least you were exposed yeah. to it and you can decide. I mean, I remember, you know, I, um, my family, my grandmother, my dad's mom, was really into ballet. She was a huge fan. She had season tickets to see City Ballet when she was living in New York. And she would, when I was little, she would tell me about seeing Nureyev and like all these amazing dancers. And, um, and my great aunt, um, she was a dance critic. And so she would go to these press events and get their, the eight by 10 kind of black and white photos and have Alvin Ailey sign um, an autograph for me when I was a kid or Arthur Mitchell. So I had, I had an idea of who these people were. And, um, and I was very much exposed to ballet at a young age. However, the first time that I saw a black ballerina live, something resonated inside of me. And I didn't realize what it was, but it was the first time that I saw a ballerina from DTH was the first time that I really said, oh, my God, it's like me up there because she looked like me and she had the same body as me. And I saw that could be me. And that was really the first time that I said, this is, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Do you feel a responsibility to sort of carry that torch when you're on stage hoping that you connect? I mean, of course, we all love the Nutcracker, and it's mm-hmm. such a, you know, it introduces you can go with your grandmother and your yeah. mother, and there's <laughs> multiple generations that come. But when you perform, is there something in the back of your mind, or is it maybe front of mind that I may not only turn on an African-American mm-hmm. kid, a little white girl, whatever yeah. it may be? No, that's at the forefront of my mind, because... You know, when when you're doing 250 shows a year, <laughs> you have to stay inspired and motivated somehow. And I think the best way to do that is to think about how you are affecting the audience. They're, they're coming for a reason. Um, and whether I'm inspiring a life of someone who just came to see a show and, you know, wants to be transported for two hours, that is my job, I feel. And, um, you know, when I see a kid in the audience with these bright eyes just looking up, it affects me because I was that kid. And you have to have a dream. Whatever it is, you have to have a dream. And if I can kind of be a a sense of reality to that dream, then I think I've done my job. Do you try to connect with people on stage or you kind of far off in your own performance? No, I'm very much aware of... The audience, I mean, I don't look at anyone specifically, and most of the time you can't even really see anybody. But um, I I feel that what I do is a gift, and it's a blessing, and it's my job to share that gift because I think that everyone has a calling, and, and mine is to inspire. And whether it's, that's through dancing or through arts and education or through teaching or through... Um, building an organization that changes people's lives, that's what I'm meant to do. Let's talk so. about your organization with your sister. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be in New York. I'd, you know, you're, you're doing a second year, right? This yeah. is your second time around. Yep. Talk a little bit about it and what you hope to do. What's the mission? Okay, so um, my sister and I, we started this organization last year because we've both had these tremendous experiences in the arts world, and we've never got to work together, and we've both been living in New York. Um, And it was a way for us to kind of come together and um, enrich people's lives through the arts, whether that's right now we're concentrating on dance because that's kind of, you know, what we're most associated with. But um, my sister does a lot of singing and acting as well. And so we hope to kind of venture into that world as well. But really, so we call 8th Avenue like Dancers Avenue in New York because there's so many schools on 8th Avenue kind of in the Midtown area. And when Deja and I used to walk down the street, kids would stop us all the time and ask for autographs, ask for advice. How do I get an agent? How do I, you know, make sure that I stay flexible? How do I get my extensions like you? Or, you know, asking Deja so many questions about like, what's it like working with, you know, Chris Brown or Jill Scott or all these people. And so we saw that these kids were looking up to us for answers. And so we decided to make DNA arts as kind of the answers to all of those questions. Um, and so what we think is most important at this point um, is to have uh, intensives and master classes that are well-rounded to kind of instill in dancers that it is important to have a strength, but it's also important to know 
that you have to be able to do modern and jazz and sing a little bit and do the hip hop to be able to have a long career. Um, and most of our students are students of color. And so because of this conversation that we just had, it is important to be well-rounded because especially an African-American dancer, you're going to be expected to do everything. And so that's kind of where we are. And we have brought in um, an incredible roster of teachers who are people that have made an impact in our own careers, on our own careers. And so Renee Robinson, who is just dance legend, who was with Ailey for 35 years, she is very much into um, understanding your body as your instrument. And so she teaches a class called Body by You. Um, and it's all about alignment and understanding of your body so that you can free your body to do whatever it is that it wants to do. And then I teach a, a modern sort of contemporary class. And then Ron Brown teaches an Afro-fusion class. And um, then we have a professional lunch panel where we have people everywhere from executives at E! Entertainment, television, to dancers with Alicia Keys, to everything in between, speak about their experiences um, because it's important to be exposed. Some people don't know they're, they're, you could be an, a dance agent and still be able to be in the dance world. Um, some kids don't know that, oh, my God, I do have a talent for drawing. I could be head of wardrobe at City Ballet or at an opera or something like that, you know. So we want to give them exposure to all the possibilities in the arts and entertainment world. And the second half of the day is concentrated on the commercial dance world. So two different types of hip-hop classes and a voice class taught by Ankara. Um, and he was on, uh, he, he does a lot of celebrity voice coaching. Um, and he was on Making the Band. That's where, like, most kids know him from on MTV. And you have something coming up later this month, right? Yes. August 30th, we have our second annual intensive. And uh, we're looking for 100 students this year. Last year, we had 55. So this year, we're looking to grow. We have um, also expanded to ages 11 to 15. Last year, it was only pre-professional, ages 16 to adult. Um, but we had a lot of inquiries about, my, my kid wants to come, but they were too young. So we decided that it, it would be a good time to expand. Um, so we're really excited. And then in addition to doing what we do, we're also really focused on uh, community outreach and enrichment. So all the students that we taught, um, we would send them notices a couple times a year saying, look, we're going to um, Bed-Stuy uh, campaign against hunger and we're going to um, serve at this food pantry. If you're available, come out and join us. And so I think that it's also important to have this sense of giving back. We've taught classes to the elderly also at Bedsty um, Campaign Against Hunger because it's important to move. You know, our, our kind of thing is that we're made to move. It's in our DNA. And so, you know, everybody is made to move, whether that's just getting up and exercising or helping others out. Um, that's important to us, too. Are you going to call St. Louis home? Are you doing a by residents? <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, I guess the coming months will determine yeah. what you want to do professionally. Yeah, actually, I, I think I consider St. Louis my home base because my husband is here and our home is here. And then um, I kind of just go out and do the things that I love to do. So that's even when um, I was back with Ailey, I was just living with friends in New York. And then when I, whenever I was home or had a break, then I would come home, you know, to here to St. Louis. Is it hard to, I mean, maybe this is too personal, but is it hard? I mean, you're recently married. I mean, you've been mm -hmm. married for a while now, but as you're touring around the world, I think you were married and then the yes. next thing you're off, you're off around the world. Yeah. I, I joke because this time that I've been home is almost like the longest period that I've been with my husband since we've been married. But, um, he's just awesome. That's all I can say. When people ask me, how do you do you know, long distance marriage is just like find the right partner because he has been my number one cheerleader supporter. He still is. And he still says, if you want to go back and dance, I'm, I'm there for you. I'll be, I'll be there at the shows, you know? So I think that's most important to have someone who, who sees your dream and, and wants to be part of that. How will you handle your announcement in the next five or six months how are you planning i would love to open the forum oh. here and bring all your friends and i mean no matter what you do you just seem happy yeah so it's great to be face to face you're 
basically the first in-studio guest on this thing. It's always somebody beaming in from oh, okay. somewhere, uh-huh. you know, Russia, you know. We had Joy <laughs> Womack, and she was in, you know, actually she was in Hong Kong competing. Oh, my also, goodness. Through Skype, you know. It's like, it's, it's crazy. Power of technology. But you're actually right here. How, how do you think you'll handle that? I mean, are you going to, is there a press release or... I mean, come on, let's be honest. Uh, you're, you're the face of Ailey at this point, and you're, we missed you in St. Louis. I mean, yeah. it was ridiculous. I was like, oh. I know. I was trying company. to, I was like, I was no, like you know what? No. I, I just need to make it two more weeks. I just have to make it to St. Louis. And if that's the end, then that's the end. But I just need to make it to St. Louis. But I didn't, I didn't last that long. So, but, uh, I don't think there's going to be any like official announcement or anything there like should that. Be. So come here and do it. Okay. <laughs> come here and do it. And then we'll talk about your next steps. I mean, always I I am fairly uh not completely personal, but on my social media pages, on my uh Instagram and um Facebook page, you know, I kind of give a sense of what I'm doing. I don't put it all out there, but I think enough people yeah, will know what's Yeah. I think happening. it's important. You've had a a really great career no matter what happens mm-hmm. and you know it's just the beginning that's the thing I look at you and I go this is just the beginning oh, she's gonna you. do lots of great stuff I mean you went and got your education which is important you took the time and I was just telling the guys that were here when we were setting up I was like you, you don't really find dancers who aren't disciplined and motivated and thinking mm-hmm. about their next sure. steps or yeah. the transitions maybe are the big words now I think dancers are the most incredible creatures on our planet very unique and and really whatever we set out to do we can do because I think we're in one of the hardest professions that you could choose so come back and talk to us again there's so much more I don't want to have you sitting still you probably need to go swimming again or do something more for your your back the weather here in in St. Louis is great today but I'd I'd love to talk about your next steps and what you're going to do and how you find European audiences and and you know there's a lot we have to solve (laughs) <laughs> We're going to solve a lot of problems here, but we can well, get to I, help, I hope I can help you in well, some way. long may you run. I hope you get whatever you want. Thank and you. And I'm physical enough to do what you need. And uh, thank you for your time. Sure. Thank you very much. My thanks to Alicia Graf Mack of Alvin Ailey American Dance. If you'd like to know more information about Ballet Initiative, please visit our website at balletinitiative.com. There you can learn more about our summer and winter intensive programs for dancers, make a tax-deductible donation, or listen to the archive episodes of the Ballet Initiative podcast. For Ballet Initiative, I'm Christian Kutnick.